we were talking about Genesis. Everyone loves new beginnings, right? We love new things. Out with the old, in with the new. We love babies. Everybody loves a baby party. I think uh, the Fongs just uh, celebrated a red egg and ginger, ginger party not too long ago, right? Everybody loves new beginnings. Um, Christmas time is coming up. Uh, new socks, new sweaters, new jackets. Um, my weakness are shoes and jackets. I tend to collect those. But if you've lived any uh, number of years past 30 or 40, you know that maybe for Christmas, maybe we want uh, regeneration of our bodies. Right? Maybe we might want a, a new knee or a new hip for Christmas. Uh, but uh, maybe we've, uh, if we've lived any length of time, maybe we want, maybe we need uh, a renewal of broken relationships. Well, today I chose to speak about the originator, the original originator, the first mover, the creator of the heavens and the earth. There are several instances in the Bible of Genesis. And, of course, today we're going to start with Genesis 1. So if you get out your Bibles, we're going to be uh, reading from Genesis, the, actually the whole chapter. And uh, part of me is kind of an audiovisual person, uh, there's lots of audiovisual aids, and as you're reading the creation of the heavens and the earth, the first thing I thought of was the Hubble telescope. These fantastical images of literally, you can see the heavens being created. So today, you're going to be treated to kind of the spoken word in Genesis one, and then on the screen, you'll be seeing images of stars being. I'm not an astrologist, so maybe it's, you might tell me that it's actually a star dying, but <laughs> it looks amazing to me, and so hopefully that'll be a treat for you. All right, so we're going to get, uh, if you've opened your Bibles, Genesis 1.1. Um, the first thing I thought of besides the, the, the Hubble telescope <clears throat> was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. In that movie, there was this thing called the Genesis Project. And so that's the first video that we're going to see about uh, their version of how they could uh, of take a star that was dead and create life in it. So let's go ahead and get... Oh, I have it in my fingertips here. So here we go. Look at these images of the heavens. And here we go. <clears throat> Look at that, retinal scans. They were ahead of their time, weren't they? I think that's an actual thing now, isn't it? So let me read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I'm not sure what year Star Trek II came out probably in the 80s, uh, but that was their um, computer-generated version of what New Genesis might look like. And now we're going to read on in, um, in Genesis uh, 3. And God said in Genesis 3, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, 
And he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the first day. God created day and night. It's interesting, uh, day and night is actually hardwired into our brains. When we see light, our uh, eyes and optic nerve release hormones. Um, It's called melatonin. Um, When we see light, um, we're awake and alert. But when we see dark, melatonin uh, signals us to get rest and go to sleep. Our bodies are hardwired. It's actually called our circadian cycle. Circadian cycle. That's where you respond to this light and darkness that God created. Okay, now we're going to look at this next slide from the Hubble telescope. Look at this. This is just amazing of the lightness and darkness and bodies that God had created. And continuing on to chapter 5. God said, let there be a vault between the waters that separate the water. So God made the vault and separated water under the vault from the water above it. And so it was so. He called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, and this was the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the ground, dry ground appear, and it was so. And he called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters he called sea, and he saw that it was good. Love, love this shot. Look at this. Wonder and awe. Look at this. Incredible. I'll just leave that up there as I continue on. Genesis 11. And then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees that land on on the land and that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. Verse 14, and God said, let the lights, let there be lights that vault of the sky to separate the day from the light. And let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days and the years. Let them be lights that vault of the sky and give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made stars, set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God said it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water's teams and that move about it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth and there was evening 
and there was morning, and this was the fifth day. You guys having fun with this? Pretty cool, right? Pretty amazing. And that's what we really need when we read Genesis. We need amazing. And literally, with the Hubble telescope, um, blue planet, everything in the high definition of the deep depths of the sea, we can see all these things that God has created. I just put a picture of a seahorse up there because I love seahorses. It uh, doesn't exactly go with the next uh, 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 verse, but I love seahorses. So verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals each to its kind. And so it was so. And God made wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground and according to their kind. And God saw it was good. Maybe that's why I put the seahorse up there because I didn't want to put pictures of things that crawl around the ground. <laughs> but God saw that it was good. You know, some say people lose their faith in college when they go away because they talk about what? Science, scientific method, right? I don't know about uh, some other kids, but I personally found just awe and wonder taking science classes. Biology, chemistry, zoology. I recall all the intricacies of the human body, knowing that God made me in his image. The more I studied anatomy and physiology, the more I discovered about my own self and the creator who was behind it. I had more esteem of myself, how complicated and intricate I was, and had more esteem of the master creator who made me. So then God said in verse 26, let us make man, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and, all, and of all the creatures that move along the ground. So I put this slide up here, two slides. Many of us have been beaten down. I don't know what it is about school and grade school. Um, bullies in school, if you're a little bit different, actually you don't even have to be different. If you're not picked on or singled out for some reason, they'll find some reason to single you out, right? Either you're too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny, too light, too dark, your nose is too big, too small. I think that's what this is a picture of different sized noses. <laughs> but uh, I hope this encourages you that here God is saying, here Genesis is telling us, reminding us that God made us in his image, in the likeness of God, to rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. We rule over microbiology. In one year's time, uh, scientists have created a miracle of an mRNA vaccine to vaccinate us against the most uh, deadly pandemic that has been in the history of mankind. God created us wonderfully and fearfully. Psalm 139. Here's a picture of the 
human muscular system, as I studied, you know, we, we look at the outside, you know, we look in the mirror and we see what we see, right? Sometimes when we wake up in the morning, we go, oh, man, I need a lot of work this morning, right? But studying who you are, I was able to study your nervous system. Look at this muscular system. It's absolutely fascinating, amazing. Psalm 139, God created us fearfully and wonderfully. Verse 27, so God created mankind, humankind, in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Both male and female he created them. On a side note of commentary, male and female are equal. There is none There's not one that's inferior to the other because both are made in the image of God. There's a thing called dysmorphia when we look in the mirror. When when, uh, uh, people look in the mirror like uh, people that look, they see themselves as uh, too fat, too skinny. Our American society projects on TV of what is beautiful, what is normal, and it's created dysmorphia in our young people. So I hope this encourages you, uh, these uh, messages that we are created in the image of God, both male and female. And in verse 28, God said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I remember in college, um, there would be atheist professors or secular professors kind of teasing, even beating down people with faith, right? Um, They used to say people can lose their faith in college. Well, some of it was very active, You you remember that. It was very active by evolutionists to debate naive freshmen and sophomores. Um, Now that I think about it again, it was really a huge power play of adults with experience bullying uh, freshmen and sophomores about faith that's unscientific. But I remember having this book that... um, I was mentored by one of your youth leaders here. I I forgot who gave it to me, but it was uh, the whole idea about evolution and creation. And one of the central uh, arguments for creation was an amazing miracle of the human eye. They talked about, okay, you could talk about evolutionary changes of adaptations of creatures of you know, growing little fins or getting smaller or bigger or, or, uh, or fins becoming callous so they could walk on the, walk on the bottom of the ocean and, and look like appendages. But this whole idea of the human eyeball, if any of you have take, uh, taken photography, it's like, why would this whole miracle uh, come into being just by chance? The whole... Not only do we have this, our five senses. Do we have five senses? Five senses, right? 
<laughs> Maybe some of you have six. But one of them is our eyes, our eyesight. And it's an amazing miracle that I choose to believe that this uh, book was uh, arguing that it's too much of a miracle. It's too huge of a leap to have basically the invention of a camera, the invention of a camera in your eye. And it so, so shows the master planner behind who we are. So I remember that was an interesting thing that we not only have vision, let alone binocular vision, then you look at, gosh, flies that have, what, 100 eyeballs. It's uh, amazing. I mean, who, who would, uh, how, would a, how would a little fly evolve to have so many, eye, <laughs> so many eyeballs? It's, it's an amazing, a huge leap of faith, I think this book said. It, it's a huge leap of, a bigger leap of faith for evolutionists to say that eyeball just evolved through chance. So that's the end of the slideshow and the visual aids. I'm going to leave this one up here. And then I'm just going to talk about a few comments about what we just read. That having dominion over the earth, did you know America is the greatest producer of corn, right? Corn is something we have dominion over, uh, producing food products and things like that. Did you know one bushel of corn produces, a little research for you, one bushel of corn that is wet milled, whatever that means, okay? Um, if you want to look up these stats, this is from iowacorn.org. <laughs> I guess they go to a lot of corn in Iowa. Iowacorn.org. One bushel of wet milled corn produces, I'm going to try to go through this fast, 1.6 pounds of crude oil plus 13.5 pounds of gluten uh, feed plus 2.6 pounds of gluten cornmeal plus 31.5 pounds of starch. This starch can be further modified into 33 pounds of corn sweetener or 2.7 gallons of ethanol. There's a case... Oh, um, wet milled corn has much other uses as well. Recycled paper, paper products, cardboard, textiles, glue, adhesives, batteries, book bindings, cleaners, detergents, crayons, dyes, inks, fireworks, lubricants, ore refining, paints, plastic, rubber tires, surgical dressings, wallpaper board, <gasps> food and drug products, aspirin, baby food, baked goods, baking powder, candies, cereals. Uh, I can't get through them all. There's a lot. If you want to look it up, iowacorn.org. It has lots of lots of uses of corn. But think about it. Corn. A kernel of corn. They're able to dice it, slice it, process it into hundreds of products for our use. It's incredible. So God created us in his image. And part of that image was to rule over the earth. This is what we're able to do as scientists, engineers. We're able to, f we don't have wings, but we're able to fly, right? 
We, don't, we can't swim and hold our breath, but we're able to go to the depths of the ocean. We're even able to fly to outer space now. It's amazing. We have dominion over, over the earth. And summing up in verse uh, 29, then God said, I give you every seed and seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seeds in it. They will be yours for food. And also the beasts of the earth, all the birds of the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath, breath of life in it, I give every green, green plant for food. And it was so. So for those of you who have hopefully, maybe, changed your diet to a more plant-based diet, you guys heard of this? Right? There it is in Genesis that God gave every plant for us for food. Nowhere in there is that you could eat the other animals. Interesting enough, does anybody know where uh, any commentary on eating animals comes from? It's very logical if you think about it. Genesis happened, the world was created, then there was a big flood that did what? Wiped out most of the people and wiped out what? All the plants. <laughs> it wiped out all the plants. So in a practical way, there's actually a verse after the flood that God gives provision that Noah can eat meat to sustain him. So it's interesting. In, the, in Genesis, it talks about plants for food and even the animals. That was God's design. But after the flood, after God wiped out all the plants, then God allowed us to eat meat. Interesting. Interesting fun fact. So summing up the passages for this morning, uh, God saw all that he had made, and he said this, it was very good. All the previous statements said it was good. But after he made mankind in his image and allowed dominion over the earth, he said it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, and this was the sixth day. Chapter 2, I'll read just two verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished his work, finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Pretty cool. Pretty cool passages. So I have a few takeaways from just the meditation today that I'll leave you with. Uh, because I, I was just, I'll be starting to, uh, you could be praying for me, filling the pulpit. I'll be here next week. Um, I tend to obsess over uh, messages and tweak them uh, late at night, early in the morning, until it's like, okay, time to go. <laughs> time to wrap it up. <laughs> I, I tend to do that. So pray for my mental, spiritual, and my physical health, um, uh, preparing messages. Um, so I decided to start with this message on Genesis, because Genesis means beginning. 
a new beginning. So I hope you're encouraged by some of these takeaways uh, as we looked at some of the audio and visuals of creation. These are my final, final takeaways from uh, Genesis 1. God is an awesome God. God is an awesome God. Creative, powerful. Creator of beauty and awe and wonder. He created the cosmos out of chaos. Chaos is the opposite of what God created. The cosmos is complex, well-ordered, and a unified system. What God created was good. There's so much bad in this world, isn't there? God is the creator of good. All that is good in contrast to the bad. I'll just highlight a few things in contrast to what God had made, of which we'll get to maybe sometime in the future. He created mankind, humankind, in his image. Both male and female, he created them. Oddly enough, in just one generation ago, there was a battle of the sexes in America, wasn't there? It wasn't until 1972 that the Equal Rights Amendment was actually passed to prevent, by law, guaranteed by our Constitution, that we could not discriminate on the basis of gender. I did not know that that struggle for equal rights began in 1923. It was not ratified until 1972. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits in this country discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. The provisions in this Civil Rights Act forbade discrimination against, on the basis of sex, race, in hiring, promoting, or firing. For anyone of color, gender, or national origin, this gave the constitutional rights that are secured in our Constitution. 1964. In 1968, the Fair Housing Act was passed. It expanded on the previous acts, but this one specifically prohibited discrimination concerning the sale, rental, and financial housing based on race, religion, national origin, or gender, handicap, or family status. Personal note, all of you here that I could see are people of color, <laughs> okay? All right, if you're not, sorry to exclude you. <laughs> Uh, are us personally or our parents' generation experienced these types of discrimination? Fun fact, not fun fact, but interesting fact, Joanne, I mentioned this to, to my spouse the other night, and she said her father bought in the Rosemont area in Sacramento in 1969. 1969. Why was 1969 significant? Because the Fair Housing Act just passed the year before, 1968. Before 1969, he was excluded from purchasing in the Rosemont area based on that he was a Japanese-American. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the people that live in the south area of Sacramento, the pocket 
area of Sacramento were excluded, correct, from owning property in downtown Sacramento. And it was still not until 1968 that these uh, uh, rights were secured. Bruce Lee is my uh, hero. I don't know about you guys. Um, he doesn't necessarily quote the Bible. I'm not sure if he's a Christian, but his history he was exposed to uh, Catholicism. But he quotes biblical truth. When asked what kind of fighting style Bruce do you use, or how does it feel to be the first Chinese action star? For someone who knew discrimination due to race, he had some huge, enormous sense of self-worth, a huge sense of himself. Love is one of his quotes. He says, man, under the heavens, we are all one family. Under the heavens, we are all one family. Isn't that great? I love that. I'm not holding him out as a uh, huge Christian leader, but he absorbed some of these principles that he's like, man, why should I be discriminated against? You know, he said fighting styles, unless people have more than two arms and two legs, uh, we all fight the same. <laughs> right? Remember those quotes? Under the heavens, we're all but one family. In fact, when he started teaching here in the U.S., he uh, got hold of one of his students, Taki Kimura, who was a Japanese-American, and this was soon after the war, who was, a, who was beaten down because of his heritage. And he told him, he exhorted him, man, pick your head up. Don't, stop slouching. Put some, put some clothes on. Let's get you some clothes. Get a haircut. He goes, man, you're no better or worse than anybody else, is what he told Taki Kimura. You're no better, no worse. Equal rights. We were all created in God's image. Male, female, different races, different national origins. It's amazing that we're we've had to talk about these things in 1972, 1968, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and the Bible was probably written 6,000 years ago. And equal rights is there in our Bible. So after God created humankind, mankind, both male and female, he saw it was very good. Very good. The Bible says we were created, uh, get this, a little lower than angels. The Bible says we were created a little lower than angels. The Apostle Paul exhorts us, however, in Romans 12, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment. So I hope this encourages you. Most Americans suffer from dysmorphia. They look in the mirror and don't like themselves. So we do things to change ourselves. Plastic surgery, makeup, clothes, whatever it is to change how we look. Whether, whether we're too short, too, fall, too tall, too fat, too skinny. This part's too big, this part's too small. You name it. So if there's a message that God has for 
those with dysmorphia is that we are very good. And finally, on the seventh day, God completed his creation and he rested. And just uh, Ecclesiastes uh, uh, came to mind with that. There is a time and season for everything under the sun. So I'm going to close with this last kind of visual. I saw some near-death experience uh, videos recently, and one was of a, a nurse. And Jesus, God took hold of her and gave and answered all her questions about life and even of herself. God took her on a journey through her own body. And here she was, they were riding through her own DNA. And God says, God stopped and said, do you see me? And then the nurse kind of was perplexed and said, what do you mean, do I see you? Yeah, I see you, you're right here with me. He said, no, that's not what I meant. He said, do you see me? And she looked. She was looking at her own DNA and she said, yes, I see you. And Jesus said, your biological father has your imprint on your DNA, but so do I. I am your heavenly father. I created you. So this is an amazing thing. We often say Christians were adopted by God, right? We have a biological family, biological father. When we come to know the Lord, we adopted into the family of God and praise God for that. This is amazing that God says, it's not just we're adopted in the family of God, we are God's family. We are God's children. And Jesus was saying, do you see me? I am in side of you. I created you. You are my offspring. So an amazing, amazing thing. I hope uh, this encourages you today. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, I'll close with a couple meditations and responses to things and a little guided meditation. So let's uh, bow our heads and pray. God, we just uh, thank you for, we affirm our spiritual birth, those that are of the family of God. We just praise you and thank you of belonging and having security as your children, not, not just adopted uh, uh, children of God, but your children, regardless of our biological roots, our biological family, or even losses that we have had, we thank you that we belong in the family of God, and we have brothers and sisters. Let us not think too highly or, or, or lowly of ourselves, but with sober judgment that we were created a little lower than angels. God, we thank you that uh, we're not only adopted, but maybe we're reminded that it's, it's kind of a reunification with you, our true Heavenly Father, that knit us together in our mother's womb at our Genesis, and you have your imprint right on our DNA. We praise you for that. We were made on purpose for a purpose. We were made on purpose for a purpose. If there's anyone that's listening... If you don't know your true citizenship, that you are a child of God, how do you make that happen? God, ask God, your heavenly father, to reveal himself to you. Humble yourself before God. 
believe that Jesus paid the penalty for all the bad stuff in our lives, all the stuff that's not perfect, and ask God to create in us a new heart, a new spirit, a new beginning. That's the term called repentance. That means to to, uh, stop and turn around and move toward a new heart and a new genesis. It's very uh, aptly described in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and faithfulness, and self-control. And all those who are of the family of God, we together say, Amen.